Comic book fans of all ages, welcome once again, just like once every week, to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This is episode number 24. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. In the background, you might hear the light snoring of my French bulldog, Bruno. And I don't know if that's the best accompaniment, or the perfect accompaniment, or just the accompaniment that fits for an announcement I have to make, which is a disclaimer that last week I made a couple of really boneheaded errors in which I simply was not paying attention to what I was saying, and I got my words mixed up. I was actually reminded of this recently when I was watching an American Dad episode, and the character Roger was trying to join Stan, his best friend's ham club, and instead of saying the word ham, he kept saying clam. Mine was similar, but no less embarrassing. Last week, while talking about Frank Miller's Superman Year One, I referred on numerous occasions to the character of Lori Lamaris or Lamaris as Mira, and that Mira and Superman were developing a relationship. I don't know how I got it in my head that way. I just know that I did it. And once it was brought to my attention, I needed to make sure that I let you know that I know of my mistake. I apologize for it. And I'll do my best to correct it. I've tried to understand what might have led to it. And while I do know that at the time I had been thinking about the recent Aquaman title and the relationship of Arthur and Mira, that in no way should have been enough for me to be distracted to make this kind of mistake. In addition, I also know that when talking about Batman, I've referred to Thomas Wayne, Batman's father, as the Grim Knight. In my head, that's something that should stay separate, and even if it's not there, it's something I should keep separate when I'm speaking about it with anyone who's listening. The Grim Knight and Thomas Wayne names that for me feel interchangeable and In my head, I mixed those two words together and then created the confusion for you, the listener, which is something you don't need. The Grim Knight is a featured character in the seven-issue miniseries The Batman Who Laughs, and confusing him with Thomas Wayne in the current Batman storyline only makes it more difficult for you as the fans and the readers. And my job is to make it easier for you. So I'm going to continue to try and do that with this episode. We're going to dive right into my five picks from DC Comics this week. I'm going to go ahead and jump things off with Wonder Woman number 77. I really love this story from G. Willow Wilson. Great pencils from Jesus Marino with inks from Vicente Cifuentes, colors from Romulo Fajardo Jr., Pat Brosu on the letters, Jesus Marino and Romulo Fajardo Jr. on the cover with Jenny Frizen or Frizone providing the variant cover. This is the story of Loveless. This was part one. I'm going to let you know right now that if you haven't read Wonder Woman number 76, what I'm about to say will come as a bit of a shock. But if you have been reading, if you have been keeping up, then you know that Cheetah made a deal with Lex Luthor so that she could have all the tools to finally defeat Wonder Woman. She makes her play at the end of last issue when, using the God Killer sword, she cuts into Aphrodite, the mother of Atlantiades, and someone who had been trying to develop her relationship with her mother, much like Diana is often trying to repair her relationship with hers. In this story, we get to experience the grief and the struggle that is created 
after Cheetah kills Aphrodite. There's a powerful introduction with Steve Trevor and Atlantiades coming home from the grocery store. And his attempts to be human, compassionate, when he sees the body, he tries to keep Atlantiades from seeing it next. He then tries to prevent Wonder Woman from rushing into an emotional scene where he feels Atlantiades would maybe benefit more from some privacy. And there's a really lovely just series of panels with some beautiful art revealing the sort of emotional spectrum that this art team, when working with Miss Wilson, have been able to create. The confusion for Steve Trevor, his shifting from a military officer with an understanding of how investigations work to a compassionate partner trying to help those who are in the process of grieving. What I really liked about this story, though, is how it presents a unique issue in that Cheetah's actions not only cause the death of Aphrodite, but they also in this story, present the concept of the death of love. When it comes to the things that we fight for, so often love is one of those things that's been referred to. When Wonder Woman has Cheetah in a position where all of Wonder Woman's skills should be more than enough to defeat Cheetah, even with the God Killer in her hands, Wonder Woman is at a disadvantage. As the story suggests near its close, Cheetah knows why, and only Wonder Woman still has to reason out just what it was she might have lost with the recent death of Aphrodite and how this could be the tool or edge that Lex Luthor had promised to Cheetah in addition to the God Killer sword. Really great issue with a lot of very powerful emotions, very compelling ideas, and I love the way everything was presented in this really beautiful issue. I'm never sure how uh, a comic book is going to respond to issues after a milestone, like number 25, number 50, number 75, or number 100. But two issues after her number 75, I feel the story of Wonder Woman is only picking up, it's only growing with intensity, and it's matching that perfectly with the year of the villain. This was a phenomenal issue that was perfect on every scorecard I could give, which is why I'm happy to provide Wonder Woman number 77 with a solid 5 out of 5. Now, my second choice in the DC Comics news spinner rack, and I should point out, these come in no specific order. I simply go through the list that I have and choose the titles that I'm ready to speak about in the moment, or simply line them up and one by one talk about their high and, if necessary, low points. When it comes to my second book on this DC Comics News spinner rack, I'm looking at Dial H for Hero, number six, a story I really enjoyed and one that I'm happy to share with you. This story from Sam Humphreys features great art by Joe Quinones, additional inks from Scott Hanna, with colorist Jordan Gibson, letter Dave Sharp, rounding out this amazing art team. I really enjoyed Dial H for Hero. It was one of those titles that I was not as familiar with when I was growing up and learning about comics. But through things like Secret Origins and other casual references, I was able to gain a loose understanding. And the concept of a phone that could give you superpowers was simply a wonderful idea to me. So I've enjoyed learning about the history of Dial H 
through this issue, which has done a great job of connecting the current hero, Miguel, with our past hero. I'm going to say his name is Robbie. I feel like there might be more to it, but after my mistakes from last week, I'm going to go ahead and err on the side of caution and simply refer to him as the operator. Now, there are forces at play when it comes to controlling the H-dial. The operator is a guiding force for good, and his opposite is Mr. Thunderbolt, who we recently had the chance to explore his origin and find out about his motivations. He's not a bad guy, but he is using the H-dial for the wrong reasons. At the end of last issue, he employed it so that every person with a digital cellular signal could receive an H-dial call. Suddenly, in this issue, we open with so many people discovering their powers. What I like about this story is that it points to something that was addressed in issue number five and continues now in issue number six, which is the idea that heroes are more than people with powers. And the operator points out to Miguel, all of the people who have received these powers right now haven't actually become heroes. It's only when they create an origin for themselves when they use those powers and define the reasons why they are, that they become something that is actually a hero, a character doing something with the powers they have for the reasons they believe in. This comes to a head when the operator points out that while all of these people are getting powers, there are still disasters occurring all around them. A plane is descending out of control and is unable to bring itself to correction. Now, all of these characters below have the powers potentially do something to help, but they're still discovering those powers, exploring, exuberant, and because of that, they're not paying attention to this problem. This comes to a personal point for Miguel, who lost his parents in a plane crash, one that he believed Superman could have stopped. But as Superman pointed out, he can't do it alone. He needs everyone to be a hero. This is the moment when Miguel realizes his origin and destiny, and when he picks up the H-Dial, he becomes Super Miguel, the only hero who is able to see what's happening to the plane and try to stop it. Thankfully, as the operator suggests, Miguel's actions are a guiding light, and with that guiding light, Miguel is able to inspire the other heroes to lend him a hand. When Miguel finally does bring the plane to a rest, it's in front of the statue of Superman the one memorializing him after his death during the fight with Doomsday. Watching Miguel have this moment is a really great way to define the origin of Super Miguel. But it's not all fun and games when the issue cuts to Mr. Thunderbolt, revealing that not only was his attempt to bring down and change Metropolis, but also to make that a first step towards changing the very nature of the multiverse. There are greater implications implied through the imagery, or inferred through the imagery. However, I think those are best left discovered by the reader, and I'd encourage you to pick up Dial H for Hero number 6. In my opinion, a solid 5 out of 5. Since that was our second choice, it's now time to take a quick break for some ads telling you not only about great opportunities like Wizard World, but great programming like the upcoming Batman program and podcast featuring Batman the Animated Series, hosted by our very own 
Steve J. Ray, and in addition, other news we want to share with you from DC Comics News. Stay with us for this short break, and I'll be right back with choices 3, 4, and 5 for episode number 24 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Hi everyone, I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast, here every week to talk everything DC, movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it, here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Once again, thank you for your patience and coming back. We know that was a quick little ad break. Hopefully, you enjoyed all the information that Josh, Steve, everyone else was sharing with you. Diving right into my third choice for this week, Batman Superman number one. I really enjoyed this issue. I thought this was a really great way to begin this storyline for the infected or the hunt that begins for the infect. Now, while that may be the tag on the cover of this book, the actual story on the inside is called Who Are the Secret Six? This is part one with Josh Williamson writing the story, David Marquez providing the art with colorist Alejandro Sanchez, and apparently that crow is either chiming in in agreement, pointing out that he knows who Alejandro Sanchez is, or just doing his best to be a crow. We've got John J. Hill providing letters with Marquez and Sanchez, the cover and the variant cover by Lenil Yu and Tomu Mori. I actually got both covers, even though I had the review copy of this. I later went to the bookstore and had to pick up both simply because of how well I thought this cover design was done and how well it worked for matching these two covers together. This book is interesting to me because it picks up on a storyline that ended in The Batman Who Laughs. It was one where Batman faced off against The Batman Who Laughs, was successful, but in the process it was discovered that The Batman Who Laughs was successful in infecting someone else. Who that is is known to the readers, and I'm not going to give away too much on that right now. If this book ends up back on the spinner rack, we can talk more about who it is that's carrying the poison 
that came from the Batman Who Laughs. This issue focuses a lot on Batman and Superman, with a hint to just how vulnerable even Superman is when facing off against someone as dangerous as the Batman Who Laughs, showing how the Batman Who Laughs was successful in taking down Superman in another multiverse, another verse of the multiverse. And it also does a great job of providing a challenge that exists. Batman is well known for his contingency planning, Superman less so. So when Batman asks Superman if he has a contingency for other superheroes, for what to do if any of them go bad, it's something Superman points out that he doesn't think that way. It's not something he does. It's not the way he works. And he's also aware of the fact that Batman is very afraid of what could be happening. He can hear it in Batman's heartbeat, and it makes him wonder just what it is that could have Batman feeling so afraid. He gets a great sense of this when they arrive in the Batman Who Laughs Batcave, and how it gives such an insight to the person they're hunting, much as Superman points out his introduction to Batman's cave provided an immediate understanding and introduction into the way Batman thinks. This story takes a unique turn when it's discovered that they are not alone in the Batcave. They are joined by a character who, for me, had kind of blended into the background of the Batman Who Laughs, but now is revealed to be more than just background character. This Batman Who Laughs has many Robin Jokers or Jokerized Robins, and the one that finds Batman and Superman only has to let them know that his name is Billy Batson. Really great introduction, something that's been teased in the comic book websites for a little while now. And it was great to see this first appearance and also to get a sense of what kind of tone this book will be setting as it continues with this introduction to an idea of what happens when some of the best of could or do become corrupted, much like the Batman Who Laughs is a corrupted version of the Batman character that I've grown to know and love, and I think many other fans have, and seeing that dark version can be such a contrast. I thought this was a great introduction to the story that we're only in part one of, and has so many more parts to follow. And I also think that I'm looking forward to seeing the other characters who will be making their appearances and who else has partnered with the Batman Who Laughs will be showing their faces in books two, three, and more. And looking forward to the chance to share those with you should they make it on to another episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This book was a solid five out of five in my book, or in my opinion. Since we're talking about books, we're just making my opinion. And it was something that I really enjoyed reading and i enjoy the fact that i get a chance to share these elements with you and i hope there's something that after you've had a chance to enjoy it you'll share your thoughts and opinions with me this book again a solid five out of five now my fourth choice for this episode of the spinner rack is martian manhunter number eight in a story titled a fight that won friends great writing here from steve orlando and great partnering with riley rosmo providing the art, Ivan Placencia on the colors, and world design, offering up the letters, Riley Rosmo pulling double duty with the cover work, and Joshua Middleton 
providing a beautiful varying cover. I really like this story for so many reasons. One, absolutely love the cover, love the variant. I feel the variant has this great poster feel to it, one that creates a great mood as I went into reading this book. It uses not only the present, but the past to talk about the the relationship that John began with his partner, how he took over the identity of John Johns, but that in many ways the person he took over or the identity he assumed is one that matched really well with who he is and how John Jones had been someone to guide Diane, to offer an opportunity for her to be herself after her experiences at a previous department and a relationship that affected her professional career had changed her beliefs and what she thought was possible and how partnering with John Jones when she came to their department and working with him as a detective was something that allowed her to open up, to become more comfortable with, and eventually to embrace. Together, they were a great partnership. And at one point, when they went out drinking as partners will, he revealed to her that he had known everything about what her past had brought her to and why she had been so closed off and resistant when she first arrived. That revelation is something that's mirrored really well later when Diane points out to John that she has also known all along exactly she knows who her partner was and that knowing that doesn't change anything about her opinion of John and the fact that she believes that she knows who she's choosing that she's choosing her partner and that she believes that together they're the only two who can actually take down this monster what i love about this issue is while this beautiful development of their relationship is really well put together here and i love the way that it introduces the concept of a relationship a partnership and how all of these changes can still have at their core these fundamental values that somehow remain unchanged makes for a really great backdrop to the revelation that the person they're hunting a martian from mars someone who had received punishment and is now exacting his punishment on people from earth and now martian manhunter has been doing some experimenting with the people he captures and the results of which if they're permanent or not will be quite a revelation to john to diane and to the development of this story i thought it was a really great package if you haven't been reading this issue one of the things i absolutely love is this color scheme of red greens and yellows they work so wonderfully when they're used to draw characters like charn and the martian manhunter but they also are blended in so effortlessly in appearance at least to the way that john and diane dress as officers and the way it works as a palette creates this great tone overall for the issue and one that continues to bring me back with a sense of amazement and wonder and enjoyment that that this is something that unfortunately is a 12 issue maxi series and something that as i'm reading it i hope wish would go on longer also this idea that what i've seen done in some of these 
other 12-issue maxi-series that have come from DC Comics. So much is possible that I'm trying not to worry about the fact that there's only four issues left, and I'm trying to celebrate all of the accomplishments and gifts that these eight issues so far have brought. Right now, DC Comics and I are batting a thousand, because this will be my fourth choice to be a solid five out of five, an amazing book, one that I encourage you to pick up and read through. And when you're done, please let me know if your thoughts are like, different, or something in addition to mine. Listen to the end and all the ways you can share those thoughts with me, with us. But let's move right in now to my fifth and final choice. Now my fifth and final choice is Freedom Fighters, number eight, in a story titled Yellow 18, one that takes place on Earth-X, a place where Nazi Germany's metahuman war machine conquered the planet. This is the story of the freedom fighters who fight back, and another great example of just how many wonderful things are possible with 12-issue maxi-series, of which this also is. It was revealed last issue, almost blaring out from the cover, that there was a traitor amidst the team. But this story opens with the concept of what the team and its members are fighting for. With the origin of Marcus Robbins, otherwise known as Black Condor, and a member of the Freedom Fighters, one who escaped from Detroit and now has to break back in the factory where he had been tagged as Yellow 18 and was one of many of the oppressed workers forced to build machines for the Reich. He's breaking in with Doll Woman so that they can not only help the human bomb, but get the tools they need to do so. It's a dangerous mission, and it's one that brings Marcus back to the story and a history that he would probably rather forget. For Marcus, this was a place that his father encouraged him to fly away from when he designed the wings that he used to then create his namesake. He followed his father's pleas and wishes, and as he finds his way through the factory, he discovers that both of his parents were lost after they helped him escape. It's a weight that he has always borne, and now it's one that sits heavier on him still, as he seeks to not only accomplish his mission, but avoid all of the pitfalls that come with the emotional traps that his history with this factory and this world created for him. The danger is that it's finally revealed just who the traitor is, and more that it's not so much a traitor, but that one of the members of the team was captured. And when they were captured, they were replaced by a mole who has allowed the Reich to know of the plan and to be there to try and stop Black Condor. The issue ends with Black Condor surrounded by other workers who knew him as a boy, who watched him grow, and who have cheered his efforts as the Black Condor with the Freedom Fighters. They're unwilling to back down from this attempted assault from the Reich, and with them by his side, Black Condor is about to take on what could be the fight of his life. I thought this was a really powerful issue that brought home the emotional ties 
that even a story set in an alternate world can create the sense of hope for a family, for their children, for possibility, even against overwhelming odds, is a story that I'm sure more than a few readers can identify with. But even when they can't, it's one whose emotional strengths make it identifiable for anyone who has loved or cared for anyone or anything. I thought this was a really amazing issue. I love the way the art team so perfectly matches with this story. Great shades of just heavy, dark tones. This is a world where light seems to struggle to even make an impact, where so much is masked in shadow and danger. And it's captured so well that in so many ways, the hopeless feeling, the overwhelming sense of looming danger for the freedom fighters feels prevalent on every page. And I think it's what lends to this great storytelling. My pleasure to give Freedom Fighters number eight a solid five out of five, which means that this episode of DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 24, has come to a close. I've been sharing all of my thoughts and scores with you on this episode, and thanks to social media and platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube, you can share your thoughts, opinions, feedback with me, whether it's about my scores, my bonehead mistake from last episode, or anything in between. All you have to do when you make your comment is to tag us at DC Comics News. That's the at symbol, DC Comics News, all one word. You can also subscribe to this podcast on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. We're there. So if you haven't yet, head on over, subscribe, and then rate and review. And if you like us, tell a friend. They might like us, too. I'm also going to let you know that you can enjoy other weekly episodes. One of my favorites, the DC Comics News podcast, something I get to participate in on a semi-regular basis with a great team of writers, reviewers, and editors from DC Comics News and the sister site, Dark Knight News. I'm also going to remind you to look forward to the upcoming series hosted by Steve J. Ray about Batman the Animated Series. To make sure you never miss an episode of that, let alone the first, again, subscribe to DC Comics News on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll be guaranteed to always hear the newest. Final message is just a reminder of something we can all do a little bit more of. And that's to always read more comics. This has been DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 24. And I've been your host, Seth Singleton. Thanks for joining me and look forward to talking more comics with you next time.